Thank you for joining us for this month's episode of Fraud Talk. I'm Mandy Moody, the content manager here at the ACFE. And this month I am joined by Alana Benson. And she actually reached out to us a few months ago to talk about identity theft and fraud. And of course, we were excited to talk about those two things. Uh, So Alana, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. So tell me and tell everyone listening about your current role and what you're doing right now. And also give us a little update on your latest book, Data Personified, How Fraud is Transforming the Meaning of Identity. I am essentially a fraud consultant, and I mainly consult with LexisNexis. And over the course of the last year, we have been producing this book, which has a lot of original research in it. And it kind of looks at two avenues of fraud that are less commonly talked about. We hear so much about individual identity theft and how destructive it is. And we also hear a lot about hacking and data breaches. And so this book explores these other avenues, which include the kind of old school methods of stealing identities with like using documents and not involving a computer and also business identity theft, which is essentially taking the same tactics used for individual identity theft and then applying it to business so that people can get much higher return. So you mentioned when we were discussing this, and and you kind of just said this too, that identity theft and fraud has bled into every industry. What did you mean by that, and why do you think that's happening? It definitely is. Um, I kind of like to talk about the, the fraud circle of life, where if, if you see fraud in one iteration, so take, for example, individual identity theft, the odds that that is going to stay in that realm and only affect that one person are really small. So someone steals your identity. What are they going to do? They're going to go take out a credit card in your name, okay? So that affects every business that you spend money at. It affects the credit card companies. It affects credit scores and the validity of that. It also can then go on and be used to commit tax refund fraud or benefits fraud or, you know, things like this. And so it, it does. It really affects every single industry. And so one of the big focuses in this book, and I was recently speaking with the Fraud Defense Network, which is a collaboration with LexisNexis and other industry thought leaders. And a big thing that they're trying to focus on is communication between all these industries because fraud that affects healthcare is not so different from fraud that affects businesses or fraud that affects government benefits agencies. And so if we can combine these tactics and work together and communicate better across these industry silos, it'll help everyone. And it's really, fraud is not just in one space. It, it reaches out. And to expect that someone who steals one individual's identity is not going to apply it everywhere they can is just kind of closing your eyes to the real problem. In all of this research for your book and even over what you've you know, been doing in your role, what do you think was the most shocking to you? You know, things that you still hear that make you cringe as far as security, what what of these creative ways really made you step back and say, oh, you know, why are people still doing this? There are honestly so many. It's hard to pick the worst of the worst because there are so many. So one of the, 
I guess we'll start with documents. One of the biggest things we've seen with documents is that, and, and not many people know this, in some states, birth certificates and death certificates are considered to be public record. And as long as you can provide the information to order them, which is the person's name, their city of birth, their date of birth, things like that, really easy information to obtain, you can order anyone's birth certificate. So we actually have copies of a lot of celebrities because in the state of Kentucky and Ohio and Washington, you can just order them. So we have Jennifer Lawrence's birth certificate, like a real certified copy, Kurt Cobain's birth and death certificate. We have Steven Spielberg's birth certificate from Ohio, I believe. And so, I mean, that just shows how easy it is. And so I could then take, for example, Jennifer Lawrence's birth certificate, take that to a DMV and use that in conjunction with other documents I've assembled and commit identity fraud and end up with Jennifer Lawrence's identity or any other identity, but a picture of myself on a driver's license. And wow. it's real ID compliant. Like, you could get through all the loopholes. The other part of that is that in a lot of states, like Kentucky, if you order a death certificate, it has that person's social security number on it. You can look at an obituary online. If you find someone who matches generally your age and gender, and you basically put in a request for their birth certificate from one of these states, you get their birth certificate, you, death, you get their death certificate, you then have an identity verifying document that you could present for um, identity purposes to a DMV, so their birth certificate, and then you have their death certificate, so you have their social security number. You can then create W-2s with that, and you can get a tax refund. You can take out credit cards in that, especially if that person has died so recently that their death data has not trickled down through all of the social security death indexes. There is this huge ability with just documents, so not even using a computer to completely create new identities and then those can be used in thousands of ways to make money. And that affects every industry. So in addition to documents, what, what else did you find? With business identity fraud, it's so frustrating because it's, it's almost like mental health where there's such a stigma, so people don't want to talk about it. People are embarrassed. They don't want to tell their friends. They don't want to tell their family. And so because no one really knows about it, there's less information out there about it. And that means if other people are suffering from it, they feel very alone. It's kind of the same with businesses, where businesses, if their identity is stolen, they think our, our customers will never trust us again. We can't tell anybody about this. Yeah. They don't report it, and then it's seen as a much smaller problem than it actually is. So many businesses say that it's just the cost of doing business, and they sweep it under the rug because it's not worth it to come forward about it. But in doing that, they're kind of strangling any attempts to get good information and good business identity protection put in place. We saw this one case. <laughs> We spoke with a gentleman who refused to tell us his real name, refused to tell us the name of his company, but basically he was an executive at a company that did, uh, I think, $500 million in revenue a year, but he essentially found out from the IRS, they called him and they asked him if he had filed a quick refund form, and he said he had not, and he said that no payment should be authorized. They ended up paying it out three days later, even though they told him not to. 
and someone had found out their company's website, gone onto the Secretary of State's website where businesses are registered, and changed the power of attorney to another person. And it wasn't themselves. They used a fake identity as a cover. Uh And then they filed this quick refund form for $3 million. It got paid out, even though he told them not to authorize the payment and to protect the identity of whoever this person was, they were not authorized to tell him, you know, because they couldn't be sure who the fraudster was. And so luckily he acted so quickly. I mean, as soon as he got that letter, he called the IRS. If he hadn't, if he'd been on vacation or just hadn't opened it, anything like that, it would have gone out the door and it wouldn't have been recovered. So it was still in the bank account that it had gone into. So the IRS was able to recover it but it was rooted through a bank in the UK, and so they weren't actually able to trace who the person was. Man. But, but that's another example, okay? So business identity fraud, someone used a fake identity, so there's individual identity fraud, to defraud money out of a business, so there's business identity fraud, take that money from the IRS, so then it's taking money out of the government, which is paid by taxpayers. It starts to affect everyone and as and as soon as these numbers are inflated to the amount that they are with fraud it's just it's so much money and we don't even know how much it is because we have no accurate numbers because people don't report it and that's in the much bigger realm but on a day-to-day basis so i share a mailbox with three or four neighbors i have seen every day that they have left uh, several w-2s sitting in their mailbox. And I know, you know, as a consultant, I get tax information from a bunch of different companies. So during tax season, if they won't send it to me electronically, I am checking my mailbox like three times a day. So you're that crazy lady running down the street, like, take your W-2 inside your house. If you look at any of these envelopes that get sent out during tax season, they all have a giant label on them that says tax information. It's basically like a come and get me sign. I've seen, I've watched my neighbors every day for the last like two weeks just leave like four W-2s sitting in their mailbox. It can be really big things like that quick refund fraud, you know, a little more involved. I think the fraudsters even provided a phone number and created a voicemail that's to make it sound like he was the power of attorney for that company. Yeah. So that gets more complicated. Or it can be as complicated as opening up someone's mailbox during tax season. And the envelopes are so handily labeled that you'll know exactly which ones to take. We keep talking about these horribly dark scenarios. There is a silver lining, right? Like we're going to talk about what we can do, right? (laughs) On an individual basis, it's pretty simple. Definitely freeze your identity if you're in a place financially where you're not using your credit. You know, if if you're looking to buy a house or getting new insurance, it gets kind of frustrating. But if you are not doing a whole lot with your credit right now, freeze your identity. And you have to do it with all three credit bureaus. If you just do it with one, it doesn't really do much. And then very basic things like... Don't give out your social security number, and, and it's sneaky, you know. I see it everywhere now, but if you go to the doctor's office, they'll give you a form, and it asks for your social security number. And, you know, because it's an official-looking form, people feel like they have to give out their information. Otherwise, people don't want to cause a problem. So that form is going to sit on a secretary's desk so she sees it. 
it's going to sit in a pile, maybe and not get filed where a janitor might see it. And then it gets maybe put into a filing cabinet where whoever else comes into that office has access to it. So who are you trusting? And especially because your doctor's office does not need your social security number. Your health insurance does, but your doctor does not. And so yeah, that's knowing true. who actually needs your social security number is important. And if you receive pushback, it's a lot of times because whoever is working the computer system is like, oh, well, there's a, an asterisk on this information field, so I have to put something in here. Then they can just put two dashed lines or, you know, a zero, zero, and say, hey, they wouldn't give it to me. What about businesses? There are now very recently coming out with business identity protections, very similar to individual identity protections. So, but it's a little more complicated and those are definitely newer. With the case you were just talking about, where did you see the places where something could have been done differently? On the Secretary of State for your state's website, every business has to get registered. In Colorado, for example, they have a brand new system where you can go on and create a password uh, protected profile for yourself because until very recently, no businesses had password protections and anyone could file any form. The only problem is if you're an established business, you have to go back and do that. It doesn't just send you an email and say, hey, you have to create a password. A lot of businesses have not done it. They implemented this program and not many people have gone back and signed up for it. So it's a little bit of taking accountability for your own business because right now there are several businesses that are delinquent, for example, who are not password protected. And I can just Google Colorado Secretary of State businesses, click on businesses, type in a random word, and it'll bring up businesses that have that word in it, like limited or cleaners, whatever you want. And then you can go on and change the registered agent. You could change the address. And that's what people will be checking when they decide to do business with you to see if you're legitimate. Oh, my name is on the Secretary of State website. Oh, that address sounds good. All right, we'll send you those 300 computers to that address. It's as simple as creating a password for your business account if you don't already have one. That's why that person was able to go through the Secretary of State's website. It's very simple. It's keeping your EIN number a little closer to the chest. So Whole Foods is a publicly held company. I could find their EIN number in four minutes by just looking at old annual filings that are just online and available to the public. So then I could take a fake identity, plug it in with Whole Foods and their EIN number, and fill out a tax return. You go down the rabbit hole and you realize how many possibilities exist. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's mind-boggling. But little things like that. And for a business, you know, if you have a filing cabinet full of people's information, keep it locked. Go through it. Find old employees that no longer work there. Shred their information. People who submitted resumes who you never ended up hiring, shred their information. If Basically, people can't steal information from you that you don't have. Limit your intake. If you're a doctor's office and you don't need people's social security numbers, don't ask for them. Get a new form that doesn't have a blank space and then you don't have to be held liable for information because you don't have it in the first place. The other silver lining is just that identity theft is becoming much more well-known because it's happening to so many people. I mean, everyone knows someone who it's happened to. And 
because of that, it, there are so many more identity protections. And now when people call their bank and say, hey, my identity was stolen, they're actually believed. We've heard cases from people five or ten years ago who they just said, hey, sir, you just need to pay your bills. And uh, we, heard, we heard from one gentleman who his brother stole his identity and had a broken leg and went to the hospital and got it fixed. And the hospital was billing the other guy. And he said, I can come in and prove to you. You can take an x-ray of my leg and you'll see that it's never been broken. And they're like, no, 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 sir, you just, you just need to pay your bill. Just, you know, stop trying to run from it. That doesn't happen as much anymore because, because it's so common now that people, when it happens to them, they can actually get help instead of not being believed. Well, any, any last thoughts you want to leave us with? Um, I've decided I will no longer leave my house. I hate to use fear tactics, but it is, it's, it's a scary thing. You know, you feel like you can't trust anybody, but really it just, it comes down to pretty common sense things. Check your mailbox during tax season. Don't give out your social security number. Keep, you know, important documents locked. These, these simple things really do go a long way. Verify customers that you're interacting with. Make sure you know who they are. And I guess just don't take everything at face value, especially in a digital age. You're not necessarily interacting face to face with someone. And even taking the time, you know, a lot of these things, I think people see them as inconveniences now because of how fast we move. So remembering to take that extra time could potentially save you tons of time and money in the long run. Yes, that is on. And don't be afraid, you know, if, if someone is saying, oh, well, we really need your social security number. Don't be afraid to ask why. It's your information. You would never give out the keys to your house to someone who asked politely for it. Why would you give out the keys to your identity? Yeah, exactly. Ooh, that was a, that was a good line. Thank you so much for joining us today. First off, it's a great reminder that I think we all need to hear. I, I feel like people should play this podcast once a month. You know, just when you start to get into the routine of something and especially in your business, you know, you get these routines down and these business practices down and you just forget that there's these small things, small holes, you know, that you're leaving open. Thank you to Alana for joining us this month for Fraud Talk. I'm Mandy Moody at the ACFE, and we will talk to you next month. As a reminder, you can find us on Google Play in the iTunes store or at acfe.com slash podcast. I will talk to you next month.